Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Wow. Um, My name is Ian Fisher. As you could tell from that introduction, we are very close to November 1st. You'll be hearing this show on November 5th next week, Uh, but this is crunch time for students, for college coach educators, for counselors everywhere. We're getting very close to that first deadline. And we're really excited to continue to be here with you every single week to help you to better understand how you might be able to approach your college application and financial aid process. Now, last week, as you may know, if you're a loyal listener, was our 300th episode. And Beth Heaton got some really awesome balloons to commemorate the occasion. Not to be outdone here for our 301st episode, I've got this little post-it note that says 301. So 301st episode, everyone, every single important, uh, every single episode is important to us. Every single one matters. And we want to thank you for being here to talk about college admission with us. So for our first segment today, I'm going to welcome my colleague, Joy Biscornay. Hey, Joy, how you doing? Hey, Ian, I'm well. I'm so happy to be here on the 301st episode. It's really a special episode. There's only one 301st episode, and there's just sort of this human affinity for round numbers that makes 300 special that I don't quite get. I think this one is just as important, and it's obvious because you're here, and you're here to talk about a couple of schools in the Midwest and their essay supplements. So for those of you who um, uh, might want to know, we're going to talk about the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, what a lot of students call UIUC these days. And then we're also going to talk about the Purdue essays. But Joy, we want to start with the University of Illinois. And you actually used to work at the University of Illinois. Um, I'm not going to ask you how long ago. But when you were at the University of Illinois, were these prompts the same? um, Or have things shifted a little bit over the last uh, few years? No, actually, these prompts have been the are the same. And I think that really speaks to the importance of the prompts and and what they really get at for um, for the admission committee when they're reviewing an application and deciding on fit. Okay, gotcha. So let's just, I've got the prompt in front of me. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read that out and then maybe we'll unpack it. Um, So the prompt is explain your interest in the major you selected and describe how you have recently explored or developed this interest inside or outside the classroom. And I would say that that's probably the main focus of the prompt. Um, It then says, you may also explain how this major relates to your future career goals. And then there's a little instruction here that says, if you're applying to the Division of General Studies, explain your academic interests and strengths or or your future career goals. You may include any majors or areas of study you're currently considering. Now, Joy, in my experience, most students are applying to UIUC. They have a particular major that they've got in mind in most cases, and that I think allows them to focus on that area. Um, how do you talk to students about sort of getting started with this prompt? This is not a traditional, why do you want this college essay? It's a little bit different. Um, How do you have students get started with it? I actually start uh, thinking about this prompt in a similar way to really any prompt, which is brainstorming. But this one is a little bit more focused in, in the brainstorming because we have this idea of we want to talk about the major and and how a student has become interested in this major. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I'll I'll ask students is, you know, when was the first moment that you you knew that I want to do this all the time or as least as much as possible? Hmm. You know, was it was it something that um, started with a, a childhood curiosity? but then over time developed more and more? Um, Was it something that you decided to try, like something new that you you decided to try in high school, excuse me, and then all of a sudden it was like, 
I never knew that I could do this and that a career could could potentially come out of, you know, being involved in the robotics uh, on the robotics team or maybe trying out speech and debate. You know, perhaps you started speech and debate because you wanted to be more comfortable with your public speaking skills or, you know, raising your hand in class. But once you started developing, you know, your arguments and, and, and got more involved in perhaps current events or international affairs to prepare for a debate, perhaps that sparked an interest. And now you're like, this is what I want to study. Yeah. Yeah. So you're sort of saying that there are potentially, and, and you ought to focus on experiences that you've had outside the classroom that might've led you towards a particular academic moment of study. This isn't just, I took a biology class. It seemed like biology was cool. So now I want to be a biology major, but there should be elements of something that is happening in your life surrounding your coursework that is pushing you in a particular major direction. Um, You mentioned something really briefly uh, in that response there around future career goals. And I wanted to just ask about that because the language here says, you may also explain how this major relates to your future career goals. How should students think about that particular sentence? Would you consider that to be optional? Would you consider that to be something that is required when students are responding to this essay? How, how can they consider that, that sentence? I think this is where the, the personal element of, of uh, a student's voice comes hmm. into the essay. Because for, for some, that career, uh, adding an idea of, uh, about how this major will link to a future career goal may make sense yeah. because say a student wants to be a pilot, um, you know, studying aeronautical engineering is going to be um, a means to get to that goal potentially. Okay. But a student may not have had the opportunity outside of the classroom or in high school or in an extracurricular activity to really get a sense of what you know, what it means to be a pilot. So in mentioning, you know, if they love to fly as a child and have read up on aeronautical engineering or um, plane design or airplane design or whatever, Mm -hmm. this could give a sense of what a student wants to pursue later on. But not every student knows that. It could be from a bio class, like like you said, that it was that first spark and then they pursued other activities outside of the classroom to foster that interest. Mm-hmm. Or it could be something that developed outside of the classroom that led a student to want to pursue a major. So it depends on the student's path. You know, for, for many students studying um, a major in their undergrad years is just a launching off point or a launching pad, but not to a specific career. For some, yeah. they might know, but it's, I don't think that is a required piece since Illinois even says, um, you know, if you, if you have ideas about a future career, feel free to include it, but I don't think that's required. Okay. Gotcha. I think that makes sense. Now, uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you specifically, um, and I, I've sort of developed a view on this because I've seen so many different schools ask questions like this. Why do you want to study this particular major? What I've noticed about the wording of this prompt is that it does not say anything about the university. So nothing here um, says why you want to study at University of Illinois. Um, and so I'm curious whether you think that it is important for students to pull out particular elements of the Illinois program to introduce into their essay? Or is it enough for them to simply describe their interest in their particular major in general terms? What's the best case scenario? And then what sort of is essential when it comes to writing this essay? I think if a student can add elements of Illinois, um, the, the curriculum, or opportunities that are available, adding those those pieces can um, may add value to the to the essay if it makes sense. Hmm. I don't okay. think that it's necessary to throw in a, a last line of, and that's why I want to study at the University of Illinois. Right. Um, I think there's a difference between demonstrating interest and showing fit. 
So if a student in speaking to their interest about computer engineering can pull in a unique opportunity that Illinois offers and that will foster that interest, um, I think that makes sense. But if okay. a student is just saying, oh, I need to put in that I really am interested in Illinois just for the sake of, of putting that in, that doesn't fit well in this type of essay. Gotcha. I think that I, that squares with the way that I've been pr- presenting this to students. And I think that that's quite a bit different from what you might see from other schools, other universities that say, explain why you want to study that particular thing at this institution. And that's your cue that there has to be a little bit of a why this college response in your essay. Um, now, Joy, there is a second optional essay for University of Illinois. And it, it essentially is if you select a second choice major, why do you want to study that? Is it fair to assume that students should take the exact same approach with that second choice major when they're writing that essay? Um, any sort of tidbits or, or you know, pieces of advice that you might give as they're approaching this essay that might make it different from the first? Yes. First, do not copy and paste. <laughs> you, can't, you can't copy your, your essay for your first choice major change the name of the, for swap out the, the second choice major and then put it in. I've seen yeah, can, that. Can we all see why that would be bad potentially? That, great. That, that didn't even occur to me, Joy. So I'm glad that you said that because I know that there are students out there that might take that approach. But continue. So, and, and that can often happen in, if a student is thinking about computer science and then computer engineering, yes. they're very different majors. Um, so University of Illinois uses this essay to to gauge a student's knowledge of their potential major. So when thinking about that second essay, that second choice major, you need to do as much research uh, about that major as you do for your fun um, to really give an indication that you understand the differences and you can um, give a sense of of why you want to study that second choice, if not admitted to that first choice major. And I think that's a great sort of reminder that some elements of research really do matter here. And then, you know, you might not be writing a why University of Illinois essay, but you should understand what the differences are in those majors. Um, Okay, let's, let's sort of make a move. And I don't know my Midwestern geography well enough to know whether we're going, I think we're going west and south to Indiana, but I could be wrong. Um, over to where Purdue is in West Lafayette. And I want to talk about the Purdue essays. Now, let's do some quick hits here, Joy, because as you were saying to me before we came on the air, we've got two required essays for Purdue. One that asks, how will opportunities at Purdue support your interests both in and outside of the classroom? And then briefly discuss your reasons for pursuing the major you have selected. Now, you only get 100 words for each of those prompts, how should students conceive of the difference between these two essay questions, Joy? So I like to look at the, the first question as, an, as a way to talk about not necessarily a student, not only a, um, a student's interest in academics, but since they're saying, how will they support your interest both inside and outside of the classroom, you might be able to bring in um, your extracurricular activities that you'd like to continue. You know, you might be studying game design, but you might also want to um, continue your, your love of singing in, in some sort of choral group. So um, I, I like to look at this essay as a way to connect, again, fit, connect your interests with Purdue's offerings to show how um, the university can support your interests overall for your full college experience. That's right. And I think it's perfectly fine for you to bring some of the social elements into this. Um, You don't have to write about your particular major because you know that there is a second essay, which specifically asks about your major. And Joy, what should students really focus in on when they have only a hundred words here? And and what's really interesting about the Purdue uh, prompt is that it says, and also your second choice major. So they're really asking you to take what Illinois would give you 800 words to do and put it into a space of just 100 words. I guess they give you a hundred words for each major that you select. Uh, to choose. What is the area that you might focus on with this kind of question, given the shortness of the essay? Uh, For me, I really, I ask students to focus on academics. Um, What they have done 
in their um, in their high school experience quite briefly, um, that has led them to their interest in um, the major that they're looking to pursue. So if it's coursework, um, if you're looking for something more in the STEM field, then it might be a co-curricular activity that has fostered your interest. Um, But students need to be very, very um, detailed and succinct since they only have a hundred words to really spotlight uh, what is of most interest to them or that that key element that made them want to say this is what I want to study in depth for four years. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. And and you know when you look at this prompt, it says briefly discuss your reasons plural for pursuing the major you have selected. And I think that sometimes you really have to choose one specific reason and really focus in on that because you're going to find that you run out of a hundred words very, very quickly. They go by extremely fast. Um, Speaking of going by extremely fast, Joy, uh, we're out of time for this particular segment today. Um, We we spoke through Illinois. We talked about the required prompts for Purdue. I think it's worth mentioning that there is an optional essay on extracurricular activities, which is a 250 word essay. And you can go back into our archives and listen to prior shows where we've talked about how to respond to an extracurricular activity essay. I think that's pretty broad and generic and nothing that's that's specific to Purdue. Um, And then we're going to talk a little bit about honors colleges in the next segment. So uh, we'll talk a little about what an honors college experience looks like. And there could be some nice tips in there for the Purdue honors college essays. Uh, Joy, is there anything else that you think that family should be aware of just as we're signing off here um, as it pertains to these Midwestern uh, public research powerhouses? Uh, Do your research uh, so you know how to differentiate. You can differentiate one from the other in your writing. You don't want to choose one essay um, to to send all in terms of that juror or your interests. Being specific does pay off Perfect. I think that's great. Be specific, do your research, and uh, we'll do some more conversations when we come back. uh, So don't go away. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit getintocollege.com to learn more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, folks, welcome back to getting in a college coach conversation. We just had a great conversation with Joy Biscornet about essay supplements for the University of Illinois and for Purdue. And those would be great things to go on back and listen to. If for some reason you're listening to this podcast and you've skipped ahead 15 minutes for the second segment because you are just so excited to hear from Shannon Vasconcello. Shannon is my second guest today, and we're going to learn about her whole college experience in 16 we're, minutes. We're squeezing four years into 16 minutes. All right, Just let's do this, Ian. pressing that thing down, and we're going to focus <laughs> on the real highlights here. So, okay. Shannon, what I want to sort of start with is um, where did you go to college? Why don't you tell everybody the basics here? <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good place to start. I went yeah. to the, the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. Okay. Now, so what I think is really cool about UMass um, is the college consortium that surrounds that space. I think Amherst is maybe the most college town of all the college towns. I think Um, it might be. And just because of, uh, there's just something about that space. And of course, you've got Hampshire, Smith, um, uh, Amherst is there. What's the, what's the other smaller school that's 
this is a pop quiz. It's Mount Holyoke. Mount Holyoke. I thought it was going to yeah. be that, but I didn't want to get it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so they're, those that are all there alongside UMass Amherst. Correct. What was your experience of being in a place where there are so many other college students who don't go to the same school as you do in that same town? Yeah, it was a really cool place to go to college. I think you're right. It is when you picture a college town, you picture Amherst. Yeah. Also, just down the street where Smith College is, it's about a 15 minute drive. Is the very small city of Northampton, another okay. like a very vibrant small city with lots of cool, you know, concert venues and restaurants, and just a very cool college vibe in the whole area, um, which is then surrounded by farm fields and mountains. So it's a, a sort of a little isolated community filled with tons of college students from really all over the, the country, all over the right. world. Um, and it's, it was a really cool experience to get to, you know, get to know people from all over who are having these different experiences at the different colleges. One nice thing about attending any one of those five colleges is that you get to take classes at all of the other colleges. I don't even know if there's any limitation on that. As much as you want, I think they, they probably put some limit on it. But yeah. I would take uh, usually one class per semester at one of the other colleges. Um, mm. And particularly nice for those of us at UMass who are paying, you know, half a third of the price of the students attending those other colleges. We got to ha take the same courses uh, at cool. much, much lower tuition rate. So that was definitely um, a great thing to be able to do. And when you think about sort of your social relationships in college, would you say that most of your friends were students at UMass or did you have a, sort of a mixture of friends from across all of those campuses? I'd say the majority of my friends were from UMass. I, I think that just more easily happened, got to know the people in my dorm. Yeah. Um, and the majority of my classes I did take at UMass. So I, I think I got closer with the people at UMass in general, but because I was taking maybe one class per semester at these other colleges and working on group projects with students at the other colleges, I certainly did get to expand my social circle out a bit um, to the the students at those colleges too. So that, that was definitely a fun experience. And it's a bit of a more natural expansion as well. I mean, we sort of think of yeah. Boston, Boston's a college town in some way. It's also a major city, but a quarter right. of the, a quarter of the residents of Boston are college students. But of right. course, you're not going to be in classes or working on projects with students right. that are at different universities in the way that you would at a consortium. The other one that comes to mind for me is the one over in Claremont, California, yeah. where you've got the five small colleges, Scripps, Harvey, Mudd, Pitzer, Pomona, and Claremont McKenna. And that's a little bit different, I think, because all the schools are quite small. And what's really right. interesting about UMass is, is that you've got this one big public university okay. that's situated in this context. Now, UMass has an honors college program. Um, and I think... I've really just, especially working here with College Coach, really come around on Honors Colleges as being a really wonderful way for a student to get the best of both worlds. And there might even be three worlds when we're talking about a consortium where you get to <laughs> right. take classes at different institutions. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit about um, putting yourself back in your shoes of when you were 17, why you were even considering the Honors College option? Why was that something that you decided that you wanted to be a part of when you were applying? Yeah, and it actually wasn't, it's something, a decision that I more look back on saying, that was a pretty good decision. I'm glad I did that. And okay. in retrospect, I can see all of the advantages. To be perfectly honest, at the time, it was really strictly a financial decision, huh. um, along with my honors college acceptance to UMass. That also came with um, a full ride scholarship. So okay. I got to attend the honors college. Actually, at the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not not a bad deal. Um, so I got to it. And actually, at the time I was accepted, it was actually the honors program. Okay. And then while I was enrolled, a couple of years later, it made the official transition to be an honors college. Um, so I, I got the very first kind of taste of that honors college experience, and it is a much more deluxe experience, I would say, today. 
What was the difference in terms of that transition? You went from a program to a college. My sense is that a program is sort of about the classes or the curriculum that you're taking and a college might be a more all-inclusive experience. But what was yeah. your experience? With yeah, I, I think I, I would say the exact same thing. And some of it may be just semantics, but yeah, at the time when I started, it was more you're in the honors program, you take a certain number of honors courses mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you did get benefits to that in terms of the, honors courses were restricted to 15 students top in terms of class sizes. So you were getting much smaller classes than the rest of the university. Um, But yeah, as a now as an honors college, it is a residential college experience. They have built brand new, very deluxe dorms. I'd like to go back today so I could live in those dorms um, where you have a residential experience where it's all honors students living together along with some faculty members. You get advising right within your residential college, lots of cool um, kind of extracurricular programs, and much more, I think, of a community, a very small, close-knit community within the larger university experience. And that's that's part of the goal of these yeah. honors colleges is that if you think about the you know most talented students in Massachusetts, and I suppose you were one of those at one point in time, Shannon. I know I've gone downhill since then. It's hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they're they're trying to get people like Shannon who might get into other schools yes. like. Amherst or like Mount Holyoke and just as you know examples within the state and in order to attract those students they have to say well we've got this honors college program and you get to do this really cool thing where you're living with other honors college students and we might give you a scholarship and isn't this great right um and I think that a lot of students sort of overlook that piece of the puzzle when they're looking at major universities that the honors college just sounds like, oh, I might have to do more work. I don't know if I want to do that. But actually, it comes with this really terrific experience as well. Um, exactly. I wanted to ask, because I've seen um, a lot of questions when I was talking with Joy about the Purdue essays. We didn't get to the honors college essays, but they do ask a lot about interdisciplinary study in the in the prompt. And the University of Washington Honors College asks about interdisciplinary study. And I think that this is something that students have trouble wrapping their heads around when they're applying out of high school. Uh, Can you sort of think back to instances of interdisciplinary engagement, um, formal or informal, while you were a student in the Honors College? Yeah, and I think, and actually at UMass, I, as I recall, I had the choice if I could do what they call departmental honors, where mm-hmm. I really strictly focused on ma- my major department and took most of my honors courses there and, and was really um, not interdisciplinary. That was, a, that was an option. Or you could do interdisciplinary honors, where you were actually required to spread out your honors courses uh, around multiple disciplines. You had to write a thesis Mm-hmm. Um, combining multiple disciplines. Uh, mine I did on, it was a comparing Buddhist and economic perspectives on the environment. So you know, clearly <laughs> I, I had to branch out a little bit, a little bit for that. I yeah. had to talk to press professors in the religion department, as well as professors in the economics department and wow. uh, as well as in the sciences. Yeah. Um, so that, that was a really cool experience for me. That was something that I was really looking for in my college experience. I wasn't someone who, you know, knew what I wanted to do since I was five years old and was strictly focused on one subject. I wanted to learn about lots of different things. Yeah. things. And, and yeah. I think honors colleges can be very conducive to that and encouraging of that. And, you know, they bring in all sorts of lecturers on all different subjects to, to speak with the honor students. And um, I think that for a student like that, who wants to learn about all different um, things, uh, I think an honors college can be a really great option. Yeah, I, I'm just such such an interdisciplinary thesis. It's amazing how many different subjects get brought yeah, into that yeah. conversation. Um, and I think, you know, the advantage to an interdisciplinary mode of study is if you think about the problems that need to be solved, there really are interdisciplinary, yeah. you know, solutions that can be applied. I mean, if even if you think about the current pandemic, for example, you've got the intersection of public policy and, you know, vaccinations and science and um, just understanding pandemics. Like there's all this really so interesting much. stuff. Economics is connected. Yeah. 
And so I think a lot of colleges sort of have this view that the problems of the future are interdisciplinary. And so when you learn a method of study that is interdisciplinary, you're better suited to solving those problems. Absolutely. One of the things that I often talk to students about when I'm pitching this honors college experience or just trying to help them understand it is that sometimes faculty might be a little bit more disposed to respond to an email that you send them or to offer you a position in their lab if you're an honors college student. It it sort of carries a badge of seriousness about your studies, right or wrong. I mean, you know, we use shorthand sometimes. And what was your experience with that? Did you find that there were doors that were open to you because you were in the honors college that might not have been otherwise? I think so. And it's something, I think because of that, the honors college experience really encourages that that interaction with faculty. Again, now with the residential college, faculty live right with with the students. With the writing of a thesis, you need at least one thesis advisor, if not a thesis committee. So you're, you're just naturally working with faculty and, and yeah, I think that, um, that it can be a very good way to get to know faculty. You know, I think there is that shorthand. I know it was very easy for me to later on applying to graduate school. I had very easy, uh, you know, recommenders, you know, at my disposal because I was able to work with them closely right. um, as right. part of the the honors program at UMass. And I don't know that every student at UMass, all, you know, 30,000 of them, certainly were not working closely with faculty. Um, so I think it is something that that honors programs or honors, honors colleges sort of naturally bring faculty and students together. I think that's part of the point of, of the programs. That's right. And and that's, I think it's a great sort of reminder that this is the solution to the problem of not having a small campus in many cases is let's yes. make a small campus environment somehow within this larger university. And you still get accesses to the tremendous resources mm-hmm. that come with a larger university while also having a smaller campus experience. And if we sort of think about other honors colleges, you know, I'm thinking about the one at University of Washington. There's one at the University of Oregon, Clark Honors College, Arizona State has, has a good one. These are all huge universities, but where the honors college is a really small and more intimate learning environment. So I think that they're, they're exciting to think about. Um, yeah, I think they can help that transition, which can be a hard transition for yeah. students, um, from high school into college, it can be hard for anyone, but particularly at a, a large university, if you're used to going from maybe a pretty small high school into an environment where there are 30,000 students, um, I think it's easy you, that you can, you know, kind of get lost. It can be an anonymous experience if um, if you allow it to be or yeah. if you don't reach out to you know, other students and to faculty and create that community for yourself. It can be difficult, but yeah, the honors colleges sort of create that naturally for you. So I think it can be sort of an, make it an easier transition if you are looking for all the resources of a large university, but are a little worried about that. Um, You do get to have that close-knit community. You do get to be sort of the big fish in the small pond or the small fish in the a big bigger pond. fish in a bigger pond. You get to make a smaller so. pond and a bigger, you're setting up a dam really. Yeah. So, you know, there are dams in these water bodies. Right. We got some landscape architecture going on here, but, but it works out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, one thing that I, I am curious about, and I don't know if you can speak to this, um, you know, a lot of students are thinking about, all right, after I graduate, I want to get a career. Maybe it starts yeah. with graduate school. Maybe it starts with employment. I'm curious about whether there is a relationship that you have as an alumna of the honors college in terms of communications that you have from the university, um, or just if you can speak more broadly to what it's like to be an alumna of a larger university, um, how has that impacted opportunities that have come since your graduation? Yeah, I think that it naturally creates lots of connections, both, you know, there are there are, we do um, like honors college homecoming and anniversary celebration. So there is that sort okay. of um, closer connection with specifically other honors college graduates. But then again, and having the whole network of the whole university and LinkedIn groups and all of that, I will tell you one thing I never thought about when I chose to attend UMass um, that has become, a, that has been a big benefit in my life and in my career as I've been um, interviewing, as I've interviewed for jobs since college, and, and I have stayed within the state of Massachusetts, um, 
every single time I've gone in for a job interview, the person I was interviewing with either attended UMass themselves or they had a sister that attended UMass yeah. or their so you guys son are cheating, attended basically. UMass. You're, you're just helping each other out. Okay. It, it, it breaks the ice very quickly when you attend the large uh, – university yeah. within your state because you have lots and lots of alumni connections one way or the other, and it has helped along the way. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. That's something that I like to point out for students as well. And um, I, I just think it's such a, a cool option. It's really interesting to hear that your experience there is sort of consistent with, I think, how these honors colleges would pitch themselves. The things that they yes. want to talk about are really sort of reflected in the experience you had. Um, any other thoughts that you would share just about um, honors colleges in general or UMass specifically um, for our listeners? Uh, go UMass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> beyond, I think it's a really great option for folks to look at. Specifically, you know, i on the finance side of the house here at College Coach. So uh, I'm talking about to students and families about how to afford college. And sometimes for um, you know, very high achieving students, they're looking at some of those most selective private universities, which sometimes come with a huge price tag that that's really out of reach or can make things very difficult for their family for yeah. many years to come. So it's always a great option that I advise students to consider. Take a look at your in-state public university. Do they have an honors college that can really um, nurture you as a high achieving student? I think it's a great option to consider. I think so. And um, one other little plug that I want to put in, if you only listen to the show on the podcast, you're going to miss out on Shannon's really cool skull earrings that she's wearing right now. I think in honor of Halloween coming up this weekend, she's got a Halloween sweater going on. There's a pumpkin spice latte somewhere in the room. If it's not in the frame, here it comes. There it is. So get to our Facebook page. Uh, You can find College Coach on Facebook. You can give us a like and you can find these videos posted as individual segments every single week. Shannon, thanks for all you're doing to help support the radio show, uh, to help us understand college finance, to being awesome. Oh, you're welcome. Glad you're on the show today. Yeah. (laughs) When we come back, we are going to talk about finance. I've applied. So what happens next? So you won't want to go away. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, folks, welcome back to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. We've had a great show so far. And for our final segment, we've got Gene Mahan here uh, to talk to us about college finance. And Gene, thank you, first of all, so much for coming on the show. I, I don't know you're if welcome. you have an option, if you're like told you have to be on the show, but if you had the option, thank you for, for agreeing. <laughs> we have the option. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. And so we're glad to have you. And we want to talk Thanks. sort of about this period of time where we are sort of transitioning from applying for things to starting to wonder what we're going to hear back. So, you know, a lot of families... Um, if I'm correct, October 1st was the first date that they could start filling out the mm-hmm. FAFSA, right? Yeah. Correct. Yep. Um, and so they've been working on their financial aid forms and filling them out over the last several weeks. And then they push the button and it goes off into the nothingness of the internet <laughs> and they might wonder what happened. So, yeah. so what is sort of the next step after that submission happens? Sure. So good for them for submitting, getting it out of the way, heading into the holidays without that little dark cloud over your head. Yeah. Good idea. Um, yeah. So, and if you haven't, you still have plenty of time. So, no worries. But what happens is once you submit a FAFSA, 
it can be anywhere from three to seven business days before you'll get an email saying your student aid report has been processed. Okay. And it allows you to go back in and take a peek and see what your family contribution is. And also if there's been any errors. It's also a great time that if you only had room for 10 schools and your students submitting to 15, you can take five schools out and add the other five in. Um, and then really you're just waiting until your students accepted and the student and the financial aid office starts reviewing applications. So for students that are applying early decision, they may have a response from the financial aid office in mid-December. Mm-hmm. For students who are applying early action or regular decision, it could be anywhere from February to the first few days of April. Gotcha. And I, I, we do often get those questions for families that are applying to more than 10. What do I do? It mm. looks like I can only apply to 10 schools for financial aid. And it is just as simple as going back in yes. and adding, adding more schools. And when you delete schools where you've already sent it, the form doesn't get taken away from them. They still have it on file, no. ready to be matched if, with the file. So they get it. But if you go in and make changes subsequently, mm-hmm they won't get those changes. They'd have to go out and look for them. So what we recommend doing is then sending it out again with the second set of schools. Once you get it back, take off those five new ones, add the five old ones, send it out again. So a little bit, a few extra steps, but for most families, they aren't making any additional changes. It's just that they, you know, are adding schools. So no worries. The school will get it. And, and do you get, um, do you get a receipt for a FAFSA when you send it in? Um, do they send it back and say, okay, your FAFSA has been sent to these schools or does it just say, thank you for your submission? Um, well, if you've put the schools on there, the assumption is that they're going, but when you get that student aid report back, you can go in and look to see what schools got it. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Great. Now I had Stacy Mack on the show uh, a few weeks ago and we were talking about the profile and the profile yeah. being, you know, an entirely different form asks for different information. Where does that sort of fit in? And what's the process of, you know, getting sort of a receipt for submission for the the profile? So what happens is once you hit the button on that, uh, a few days later, you'll get an email from iDoc, which is their documentation system. It'll ask you to upload a copy of your 2019 tax return with schedules and W-2s, and you'll send that in. But after that, it's kind of crickets. You don't really hear anything until the schools start awarding. Most schools will have some sort of a portal where students can check to make sure that, you know, financial aid applications have been received. But it's not, the the profile doesn't allow you to go back in and change things electronically in the same way. So if you're adding a school, you can add it and they'll get it. But if you wanted to send additional information or if you made a mistake, you'd have to print it out and send it to all the schools. Gotcha. And one of the things that Stacy was saying was that um, active communication with financial aid offices is a really great practice. If you mm-hmm. have questions, if you want to update them, I presume that this could be a time where that would happen. But I also wonder, you know, on the admission side, once the applications are submitted, we have families that come to us and say, what can we do? What can we do? And it's like mm-hmm. nothing, you know, you're, you right. just have to wait. They're reading your file. Um, is there an element of sort of just sitting back and waiting um, from the standpoint of a family? Can there be too much communication with an, a, a financial aid office after the forms have been submitted and, and are checked to be accurate? Yeah. So, you know, nothing's going to happen until your student's accepted. So calling 10 times is not going to help. And in fact, if a financial aid officer starts to recognize your phone number or caller (laughs) ID, that could be a problem. So unless you have something new to share or something has come up since you submitted, then there's really nothing more you need to add. Okay. In the case of an appeal, you know, that's a little different. Somebody needs to reach out, but most colleges have appeal forms on their website that you can fill out and then just submit to a specific uh, email address. Okay, perfect. So with respect to these forms, which generally are tied to some sort of formula, whether it's a federal formula or it's an institutional mm-hmm. formula, you're just sort of waiting to see what's going to happen mm-hmm. and how those awards are going to come to you when you're accepted. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you have to sit on your hands entirely, right? There are other things that you can do that are connected (laughs) to the aid process. Yes. What about scholarships? I think that I get questions all the time. What's the right time to look for scholarships? Um, Is there a wrong time to look for scholarships? (laughs) 
No, but there's some times that are more optimal. So if any of our listeners have ninth or 10th graders, get them started now on the search wow. process. Okay. There may not be a lot for kids in that age group, but you know it's good for them to start seeing what's out there. And if they find something that's really amazing and right up their alley, they can bookmark and go go back to it later. Cool. You know, scholarship searches are labor intensive. I think people think, well, we'll just find like three or four, but they do a search engine and they get like 150 that they then have to go through and see which ones are the best for their student. Yeah. So yes, never too late. Even when they're in school, they should still continue to do those searches. And what kind of, what kind of awards are we looking at when we're talking about these private scholarships? I think that sometimes you'll talk to a family and they've got these ideas of, I'm going to get a $15,000 scholarship and this Mm -hmm. is going to help. What are students typically looking at? And for a student who is motivated and will apply for scholarships, what's, what are some of the best case scenarios that they can anticipate in terms of these private scholarships? Right. Well, you know, it depends on the scholarship. So local scholarships that you hear about from your high school guidance office, those tend to be a little bit on the smaller side. So I would say they could range anywhere from $300 up to maybe 4,000, you know, in that ballpark. Um, National scholarships, it's, the, it runs the gamut. So it could be 500, it could be 10,000, it could be 20,000. Mm-hmm. Really where I have seen those bigger numbers is from the schools themselves. I don't often see them coming. Maybe I'm just not dealing with the right students, but um, I I don't see that kind of money coming through. I see more often kids coming in with three or four $2,000 scholarships um, just because they're a little bit easier to come by. And yeah. then scholarships from the school. It doesn't mean you shouldn't try, but it, you know you have to be realistic and think that if they're awarding ten scholarships and ten thousand kids are applying, right? You know, it's going to be a slog. Yeah, we do that math over on the admission side all the time. Yeah. What's the rate? And I think that you know, if you do some basic math, you know, I would think that a student who's looking at a scholarship database is going to tend to gravitate towards the larger awards. I think that mm-hmm. human beings are just going to do that. Oh, this one's five thousand. That one's only five hundred. But if you can get. Ten five hundred dollars scholarships. You've mm-hmm. got that five thousand right there. Exactly. And mm-hmm. so you know, putting little pieces together, you're paying for books, you're paying for meals, yes. you're starting to put money away that's going to help the cost of college. And you know, I think you know, families are often looking at that one shot. How do I get a ton of money on yeah. one one effort? But it really sounds like it takes a lot yeah. of different things together. Yeah. And I always tell kids, including my own, when they were going through this process, and I know that seniors are fried by the time they submit their applications. So test by now, start talking, by now. <laughs> right? By now, by the you know, but then to bring up scholarship applications, like, oh. So right. I always tell them, you know, if you sit down and you spend, you know, four hundred, four four hundred, four hours looking at scholarships and filling out the applications, and you get two thousand dollars, you just earned five hundred dollars an hour. There's no legal way that you can do that as a 17 or 18 year old. (laughs) And and oftentimes that puts it into context because I think that for most kids, these numbers are so huge, they can't get it. But if you, if they've had a part-time job and they know how long it takes to earn 500, then they're like, yeah, it wasn't so bad. I spent 400, I mean, four, keep saying 400 hours, no, four hours and got $2,000 in scholarships. So yeah, it can be a good win. Definitely. And, and am I correct in my assumption that, you know, when students have income, it fits into the financial aid formula differently from a scholarship award, which doesn't necessarily count. How do scholarships sort of fit into that calculation for student income? Sure. It doesn't factor in unless they've used it for living expenses. So if they're using it for tuition, fees, room and board, doesn't count. Awesome. And students that make less than 7,000, which is the majority of undergrads, um, that's not being factored into the formula at all. Schools that use the CSS profile, as Stacy might have mentioned, have self-help contributions that range from 1800 to maybe 2200 So they expect mm-hmm. a student to come up with that either through work, through a loan, I don't know, through their savings account, whatever. Okay. So, gotcha. Yeah. So, so there are some, you know, there are just some considerations that the students might have, but, but the bottom line is that scholarships tend to be money that doesn't factor into your need eligibility and so thereby can be really, really great, essentially free money that you can use towards now, your education. Many schools are going to require that you report outside scholarships Mm. to them. And then you have to look on the school's website as to how they're going to treat it. So some schools will say, we'll reduce your worst worst loan. Some schools will say, well, we're going to take, you got 2,000, we're taking 2,000 out of our scholarship Mm. and replacing it. So it's a wash for the families. It's just that it's not always stackable so that you're, you know, it usually is not going to cover the family contribution. 
Is that something that as a family, you can um, do some research at the front end to figure out what that school's policies are towards scholarships? Yeah. Most schools are right on their financial aid page. They talk okay. about scholarships and they'll talk about the treatment of scholarships. If it's vagueish or non-existent, then you yeah. can always reach out to the school by email and just say, how do you treat outside scholarships? Okay. You know, what, what impact is it going to have on our aid? And so the question is, are scholarships stackable or are they sort of absorbed into mm -hmm. the financial aid package? Right. And if they are absorbed, do they take away the total loan amount or do they cut into that grant money right. that a student might be awarded? Right. Gotcha. Now, you know, financing a college education isn't just about financial aid. There are also different considerations that you know, families might have to make around budgeting and right. paying the cost of tuition. Right. That first bill comes due what, next, the end August. of next summer. Right. Yeah. Usually August, August, early so August, what are some things that you can do now to start thinking about getting ready for that mm -hmm. first bill? So figure out if you have any savings, what do you have and how far do you think that can go based on maybe the highest price school that you're looking at? Okay. Um, look at your budget and see, you know, what's, is, is the mortgage going to be paid off? Is a car loan going to be paid off? We can redirect some money there. Think about the money that your kids are spending that's yours right now. Maybe they're in travel sports or they do expensive camps or they're riding around town in a car and you're paying for insurance and gas. Those things are going away when they go to school. So that money is freed up. Um, I always tell families who have kids going more than hundred miles away to consider taking their kids off the car insurance until they come home again, because that saves money. And that helped when my son was a thousand miles away, I used that money to pay for airfare. So just mm -hmm. redirecting it to other other needs that come up. Your kids leave the home. They they take their appetites, their friends' appetites, their <laughs> endless long showers with them. And right. so there's money that you don't even realize until they're gone that you know you might be able to use to put on a payment plan or something like that. Yeah, and I, every little bit helps. I mean, you just mm -hmm. mentioned sort of flights home and just the cost of bringing you know a student home. It might be the difference between whether they come home for Thanksgiving or not. You know, putting aside right. whether they actually want to, and that's a yes. totally different conversation. But you know, that there is a lot of I think unexpected costs that might be associated with going to college that there families is. don't necessarily anticipate. Um, Jean, I think that's great. It's just nice to be able to tell families what they can expect and, and that it's okay to just wait to sort of yeah. be in a holding pattern at this yeah. point in time. Take, take a moment to breathe. Take a moment. <laughs> I love it. Great. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Jean. Yes. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, that does it for this week's episode of Getting In. We're going to have another great show again next week. The conversation will focus again on essay supplements. We'll be talking about Harvard and Tufts with one of our Boston area experts. We'll also ask the question, is it too late for a senior to apply to college at this point? And spoiler alert, the answer is no, but there's some things you're going to want to do right away. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about what to do if you're thinking about transferring and how that's going to fit with the financial aid process. So you can see us right here again next week. In the meantime, have a wonderful weekend and take care of each other. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.